I was at this conference and the speaker said, who here feels like they don't have a dream? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have a dream. And he goes, you're lying. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm putting my hand down. <laughs> and he said, I think you do know what your dream is. You're just afraid to admit it. Yeah. As soon as he said that, in my soul, I heard writer. I was like, oh gosh. And it was true. I had been avoiding this thing. It was, should have been obvious, but I was scared of admitting it because it would require action. Welcome to the first ever Sea Time Living podcast. I am Bob Lodick and I will be your host on this show. And I actually had a podcast many, many years ago, back before people were actually even listening to podcasts, it seems. It was, uh, I think, 2008 or something like that. And uh, anyway, so we retired that show many, many years ago, but I'm really excited to get back into this thing. I really like the podcast thing. I like talking and just chatting about a lot of these things. And it gives me an opportunity to kind of interview some really smart people and just allow them to share some stuff as well. So we're gonna start this first episode off with an interview that I did with Jeff Goins a couple years ago that was really, really great. It's been really well received by the readers. And I thought it would just be the perfect thing to kind of get the ball rolling. And it's about how to find your purpose and calling in life. And if that feels like something that's a little bit squishy, it's actually really, really practical. Jeff has some really great ideas on how you can practically take steps to finding that answer. So if that's something you're looking for, uh, just stay with us just for another second because we're gonna dive right in. So without any further ado, let's just jump right in. Hey guys, I am excited to bring Jeff Goins on today. If you're not familiar with him, he's a full-time writer, speaker. I think he plays guitar. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I play guitar too. So, you know, and like many of us, he spent some time kind of wrestling with these issues and this question of kind of how to find your purpose and your calling. And so anyway, I wanted to get him on and chat about some of this and just kind of see if we can help out some of the readers out there who are kind of struggling with this, you know, I went through it myself. I think Jeff has, and hopefully he'll elaborate on some of that. So um, great to have you on, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Bob. So let's just dive right in and let's talk a little bit about, you know, this thing of purpose and finding your purpose. And, and maybe we can just start by you talking a little bit about how and when you first started to feel like, maybe you weren't doing something that lined up with your purpose and then mm -hmm. that transition? Yeah, well, I think that's a great way of, of putting it, Bob, because I think most of us discover what we're meant to do not by knowing what it is and going and finding it, which I think is sometimes like what like the self-help section of the bookstore wants to like tell you. Like you yeah. just need a plan and you just have to go after it. I've never found that to be the case. And People, when they're honest, that I talk to about them, you know, finding meaningful work, tend to agree as well. So for me, it was it was that very thing. I was doing a job; it was a good job. I kind of liked it, but I felt like I was missing out. I felt like there was something more that I wasn't doing, and I felt guilty about that. You know, I wasn't in one of those positions where I hated my job. So if you hate your job, that's a really good place to be because you know you absolutely have to get out of there, right? Yeah, the really dangerous place to be is to be at a place in your life where you feel like it's good enough. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing nothing too bad going on. It's good enough. I need to just be grateful because you run the risk of just kind of succumbing to mediocrity and just living a, a good life instead of living a, a great life. Yeah. And I was on track to do that and that scared me. Yeah, well, it's funny you say that because I had a situation where I was up for a promotion mm -hmm. that I feel like I should have gotten 
and I didn't right. get, and it would have oh, been a really big promotion. Yeah. And I actually feel like it was kind of God's design mm. that I didn't get that because had I gotten that promotion, there is no way, or I'm pretty convinced there's no way I would have taken the leap into this journey of entrepreneurship that I did. Yeah. And so anyway, so I completely understand because I would have been so self-satisfied with that better yeah. job and the, you know, almost double pay and stuff. So wow. completely agree. But so how does the feeling of satisfaction compare from even with a job that you did like a little bit, uh, how does that compare to getting kind of clicked in to what you're called to do? It's a big contrast. I think what it was for me was that I uh, had started to get bored with my job. Initially, I was really excited. I worked for this nonprofit organization. We were doing this great work. I was the marketing director. And initially, it was really difficult because I didn't know how to market. I didn't know anything really about uh, what I was doing. And so I had to learn. And that challenge was exciting. But yeah. seven years into that, there was no more challenge. And I was at that place you know, that, that you may have been at where I was getting a raise every year. I was you know, getting patted on the back for all of my accomplishments. And I felt like more and more, I was just kind of phoning it in. Yeah, and I remember talking to a friend recently, and she said she keeps getting promotions for doing, you know, like not great work, and and like it feels kind of lazy to her, but you know, her boss is praising her, and yeah. she says, "I feel like I'm getting promoted. I feel like I, I'm getting rewarded for doing the wrong thing." Uh, I think that's you know the risk that we all run in in our lives is that um, you know, you could actually succeed at the wrong thing. And so, you know, as I said, I was really afraid to do that. So now that I'm doing what I'm doing now, I just really careful to to say like everything's great. Yeah. Everything is great, but that great is I'll say it with the caveat of I still get stressed sometimes. I still, you know, get worried. There are still really difficult days. And I guess, you know, that's the difference. It's not easy, but it is great. It's yeah. really great. And I, I encountered this really interesting uh, study by a guy named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and he does a TED Talk called Flow. He's got a book called Flow as well. Okay. And he talks about how our greatest satisfaction, our greatest happiness is where uh, challenge meets competency, where you're doing something that's really difficult, but you're also really good at it. And yeah. if it's too difficult, there's anxiety. You ever had a job that it's been too hard? Like if you were to ask me to be an accountant, a guy with words, and you know, <laughs> he's always done music and writing his whole life, that would be too much anxiety for me. It'd be too yeah. challenging. And I wouldn't have the competency to match the task. But if you're too competent, as I was starting to feel at my day job, then you get bored. And when yeah. you start getting bored, you look for distractions, you phone it in, you start kind of daydreaming of other things you'd like to do. And that's where I was at. The job that I'm doing now, the work that I do now as, a, as an author, as a speaker, as a blogger, an entrepreneur, I'm getting better and better at it, but it's also, it gets harder and harder. And so there's constantly, the competency is growing, but so is the challenge and yeah. I'm trying new things. So it's really exciting because of that, you know, I, I think of that, that flow state that I'm in. Yeah. No, yeah, I completely agree. It's, I, I feel like the excitement of the journey you know, I know not everybody's called to kind of be an entrepreneur and do that, but for sure. me, it fires me up so much. And so, and you're right, I think it is that good balance point of having enough challenge to keep you interested, but not, you know, too much to where you're just completely discouraged. Yeah. Anyway, so here's something else I wanted to ask you about. There's a lot of people who just never really think about the path that they're on. They never really think about yeah. what they're called to, what their purpose in life is. But then right. you have some people who spend, you know, almost all their energy trying to plan out every single little step 
essentially trying to plan out every step of a thousand mile journey. How do you balance that? How do you reconcile that? Where's the middle ground that's appropriate for us? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that there are sort of two tales of success that we tend to hear in our culture. One is the tale of the self-made man or woman that if you just set a plan and go after it, you can achieve it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we would all agree, if we're being honest, that life doesn't always go according to plan. And, and in, yeah. in the book, The Art of Work, I list story after story of events in people's lives that did not go according to plan. People getting cancer, people dying, people getting kicked out of their you know houses by their parents. And yet those were the inciting incidents in, in these, uh, the story of these people's lives that set them you know, on, on the journey towards you know, finding their calling. So the other extreme, though, is the people that just kind of, you know, whatever will be will be, whatever's going to happen to me, you know, is going to, you know, happen. I, I think of it sort of as, you know, it's a determinist sort of mindset that everything is preset and predestined, you know, down to every last detail that we don't really have any volition. Yeah. But yeah. I just, like whatever happens, it's just it's God's will. It's just what was meant to be. And I don't think that resonates with, you know, that part of our, you know, human spirit that wants to feel like we're in control of something, maybe not all things, but something, you know, who I am in this moment, how I react to this situation. So I think there's a middle path. And I I think it's really a calling isn't so much a plan, like you saying, this is what I'm going to go do with my life, or even this is God's plan or the universe's plan for my life. It's really looking at the hand that you've been dealt in life, because we're all given opportunities we're all given what things that sometimes feel like obstacles and are, you know, difficulties. So we're all given whatever we have. And most of us feel like it's not enough. Like, man, what about someone? So I wish I had, you know, that opportunity. I wish I had those skills or I wish I had that great hair. Uh, that's something that I think they say a lot about, about you, Bob. <laughs> I work really hard on it. You should have seen what I, how much time yeah, I spent I mean, today. You know what it's like to be envied, as do I, for yeah. your hairstyle. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, <laughs> So we all feel like what we have for the most part isn't enough or that we could have a little bit more. And yet what I think makes a life remarkable and and what I argue in the book again and again through all these true stories is is not the chances that you get in life, but what you do with them. Yeah. There was a blog post you wrote um, not too long ago where you talked about I don't remember. I don't remember the specifics of it, but, but you talked about a strategy for kind of looking at um, your thread of life events and things yeah. that have happened to you, and yeah. how that can kind of give you some clues as to your passion. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So there's this uh, guy named Frederick Beekner who was a best-selling author. Then he became a minister. Then he became a school teacher. Then he became an author again later on in life. And he's still living. And he wrote a book called Now and Then, which is a, a short memoir about his journey of vocation. And in that book, he says, listen to your life because every moment in your life is a key moment, he says. Yeah. All these little things, all these small moments, you know, the memories that you have of being a kid and playing with a train set and, you know, and, and the heartbreak that you felt at 16 when, you know, your boyfriend broke up with you. All of these moments are key moments in our lives if we can begin to see, you know, the thread throughout all of them. There's this other guy named Parker Palmer who's quoting Beekner in a book about a similar subject about kind of finding your vocation called Let Your Life Speak. And Palmer says, before I can tell my life what I want to do with it, I need to listen to my life telling me who I am. So I became a writer, not because I dreamed my whole life of being a writer and then one day I did it. This yeah. is sort of the Hollywood story that we like to tell about it. And we even like when we get through a painful or difficult experience or a, uh, a big trial and we overcome and we achieve success, we look back and we kind of sanitize our story. We clean up all the messy parts, all those little moments. We say, yeah, it was easy. I just did these seven things and I just knew 
but this is what I was supposed to do. And I think when we describe the story that way, we're doing other people a disservice because in, in the midst of your journey, I think it is rare that you just know. You're yeah. actually just kind of taking the next step. So I advocate that before you can figure out what you want to do with your life, you need to listen to your life. I don't think the past dictates your future, but it informs it. You know, yeah. as I was saying, I've never been good at math. So it's highly unlikely, maybe not impossible, but pretty unlikely that my calling is to be an accountant. Yeah. You know, and, and when I look back at my life at 27 years old, when I felt discontent with my job, I realized, man, like I know that something's not right, but what am I missing? Well, if I look back at my life, I used to draw, you know, Garfield cartoons. I loved music and movies forever. I got into a band at 16 years old. That kind of consumed my life for years. I ended up traveling the country with a band for a year after college. And all along the way, I was writing. So yeah. I've always I've always loved creativity. I've always loved connecting with people. And I had done different things at different seasons in my life. But writing was the thing that I always returned to when I felt stressed or overwhelmed. It was my escape. And so I thought maybe, not even like, I didn't even have certainty. I thought maybe this is something that I ought to be doing. And it was it was something that I that I started to chase. And a lot of times I hear people saying, I've got a lot of different passions or I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I think listening to your life is a great first step to uncovering what one of those things might be that you can begin to, you know, chase and see if it's your life's work. Yeah. It may or may not be. All right. So along those veins, and I think that is just such a great, great clue. And I mean, if I look back on my own life, it's like, wow, that's that's a really good, like kind of tangible thing that I think a lot of people should do. Yeah. And going along that vein, are there any other kind of practical tips or suggestions that your readers have been helped by in this process? So one of the things I talk about in the book, it's a super practical process. And I did it at a conference one time. I mean, I was at this conference and the speaker said, who here feels like they don't have a dream? And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have a dream. I don't know what that is. And he goes, you're lying. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll put my hand down. And uh, he said, I think you do know what your dream is. You're just afraid to admit it. Yeah. As soon as he said that, I felt in my soul, I heard writer. I was like, yeah. oh, gosh. And it was true. I had been avoiding this thing that was very obvious to me, or it should have been obvious, but I was scared of admitting it because it would require action. So that night I went home and, you know, I thought, hey, maybe I'm supposed to be a writer. I still wasn't sure. And I drew out this line and kind of marked off, like my lifeline, you know, marked off age 5, 10, 15, 20, up to, you know, 27. And I marked kind of the key moments in my life, you know, going back to that Beaker quote, all moments are key moments. I just started plotting out what is like the the emerging theme? Not all the different things, because it's easy to look at our lives and go, okay, I did this, and then I had this job, and then I was a security guard, and then I was a plumber, and you know now I'm an artist, and what what do those have things? What do all those things have to do with each other? So don't just look at the differences. Try to look at the similarities, yeah. and going along with that listening to your life exercise, because that's sort of a yeah heady thing. I think practically draw out a lifeline and say these are the things that I've always done throughout my whole life. Again, it doesn't. It doesn't determine what you definitely have to do, but it'll give you an idea. It'll yeah. give you a, a better idea than you realize. And you might be surprised at um, all of the similarities, how they emerge. I, I thought I was all over the place, you know, loving art and music yeah. and yeah. writing. And I realized, no, what I really love is words, you know, and I won the sixth grade spelling bee and my mom used to uh, read the dictionary to me. And what I loved about yeah. music was the fact that I got to like write songs. I loved making things. Yeah. 
And even now I'm listening to my life. Do I just love to write? No, I like to blog and I like to speak and I like to teach and I like to connect with people. Yeah. What do all those things have in common? Well, people, you know, they all have people in common. I love to, to create things, particularly content and share it with people and see the impact that it has on people's lives. So it's this ongoing exercise. It's not a light bulb that turns on. It's like, you know, a, a series of candles that keep lighting each other, I think. Yeah. All right. So The Art of Work, what made you write it? Uh, what made me write it is, you know, I went through this experience and I wanted to talk about it. And um, I kept hearing more and more people describe their vocation, the work that they were doing or wanted to do in these loftier, uh, purpose-filled kind of terms. They weren't just talking about, I want a good job that, you know, is going to pay me six figures so that I can, you know, have great vacations or whatever. Yeah. And it's going to suck, but, you know, it'll, it'll get me what I want, which is a BMW. I just, yeah, I'm sure there are people out there that talk like that. I just think it's happening less and less in our culture. People yeah. are exchanging success with significance, Completely especially agree. younger people. But I mean, I talk to people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s who are talking about this, you know? Did I miss out on my life? Is there something that I'm supposed to be doing with my skills and my talents, my passions, and I'm missing it? So I just think our culture is ready to talk more about this concept of calling. I like the word calling because yeah. I think it it has this otherness to it. It's not just about you. It's about something that I meant to do that I could be missing out on. I don't want to succeed at the wrong thing. And so I wrote this book to try to identify that thing that more and more people are feeling and to hopefully give people some, some words to describe it, to better understand the journey. I think the way that a lot of people talk about this, both in spiritual and non-spiritual terms, is misguided. I think, like you know, I mentioned before, we tend to sanitize our stories. I think most people would say, you just got to figure it out. You just got to know, got to create a plan, and then go for it. Yeah. And until you know, you can't move. And I, that is not true. I, I strongly believe that's not true. I think clarity mm -hmm. comes with action. And so I wrote this book to kind of pick a fight with the way a lot of people seem to be talking about vocation. And the way that I did it, I felt was honest. I just went and interviewed people and I learned all these things through this process. And I told these stories and it connected with me and my story. And I thought, maybe this is true too. You know, maybe the other way isn't completely wrong, but maybe it's true that you don't have to just know that you can take steps and learn as you go and that everything you've done in your life isn't an accident, but is somehow preparing you for the next thing to come. I don't know about you, Bob, but most of the time I feel like I'm just trying to figure things out. And that gave me hope when I heard yeah. those stories and it encouraged me instead of making me feel like I was left behind, I had to catch up or something. Yeah. I got the book, and you're right about the stories. I mean, uh, I think I remember two or three of them so far that are just, they just, I mean, and you're a phenomenal storyteller on top of that. So, like, together, <laughs> these really impactful stories, and you do a good job, you know, telling the story, it just really gets you, and it illustrates the point very, very well that, I don't know, that the, these things that can be really tragic and terrible can have such an impactful, um, if we allow them, influence on our life and the direction and how that's all tied up with our calling. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I was talking to a guy when I was writing the book and I was saying, I didn't really even know, you know, what the book, like what the point was going to be. I was just kind of exploring these stories and, and I thought it was going to be these like, you need something to mess you up in life for you to figure out what you're supposed yeah. to do. And as you <laughs> mentioned, there's, there's pain and there's tragedy and people getting fired and, you know, all this stuff. 
And my friend goes, well, does it have to happen that way? Like, do you have to go through pain? Can we help people avoid pain? Yeah. And he said, I, I love helping people get physically fit, but I wish I could help them realize the importance of it b before they're, you know, obese and, you know, uh, about to die of a heart attack. Yeah. And he says, can you intercept somebody before it's almost too late? I said, I don't know. I have to think about that. You know, that's interesting. What I now understand about the book is this. We all have stuff that happens in our lives that we go, this was not the plan. And, and there's yeah. some extreme examples in, in the book, as you mentioned, you know, like a five-year-old boy getting a brain tumor and being told that he only has five years left to live. And then he and his family figuring out how they're going to make the most of those five years. Well, I talked to that kid who only had five years left to live and he had lived another 13 years and he's still doing great. And he's yeah. climbed Machu Picchu and he's an That's Eagle awesome. Scout and he's run a dozen triathlons. So, But we all the point is we all have tragedies at some point. We all have things that happen in our life that don't feel good. I do not argue that those things are good. I don't think it's good that a, that a five-year-old boy gets a brain yeah. tumor. Yeah. But what I saw in those stories is that mindset is more important than context, that the things that happen to you, you can't control, but the way you respond to them, you can. And all these remarkable lives, people finding their calling, it wasn't them going out, like getting some grand notion of what they wanted to do with their life and then going and, and getting it. It was really a process of, here's what I have. How can I do something with this? I, I can't do anything that I dream of, but maybe I can do something remarkable with this life that I've been given. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I'm reminded when you brought up uh, Victor Frankl in the book, yeah. in his incredibly powerful testimony and story of you know what he went through and what he observed about those who made it and those who didn't. What were those three different points, do you recall? Yeah, I do. Uh, Victor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor, went through several concentration camps. He thought that you needed three things. He went on to kind of f found this thing called logotherapy, which was a big contrast to um, the Freudian school of psychotherapy, where you know it was so, so all kind of based on pain avoidance and pleasure seeking. And Frankl said there's a deeper human desire, which he called meaning. Uh, people want meaning. He said there's three things that you needed in order to have a, a life full of meaning. One is a project to work on, meaningful work. Dorothy Sayers, around the same time in World War II, wrote this article called Why Work? And it was about how we're going to find purpose in our work after we're not rallying together to defeat the bad guys, right? Like we just go back into widget makers, just a widget maker, as opposed to, you know, making, melting out a piece of copper or something to turn it into a you know, mortar shell that, that's going to get the bad guys. Yeah. And she said, you need to work for the sake of work. Work itself is good. So you have to find work that's meaningful. And, and Frankel says, you got to have something to work on. For him, it was a book. He had a book that he was writing in the concentration camps. And just getting up and having something to do every day gives your life purpose. Second thing is a relationship. He believed that his wife was still alive, that he had somebody that loved him and that he loved, and he had to survive to see her. And that belief of her being alive kept him alive, you know? And, and so I think that's a great insight for us. Like your calling is not just about you. And if you're chasing a dream by yourself, it's not going to be exciting. I've yeah. run half marathons by myself and there's no one, there's been no one to cheer me on, you know, at the end of the race, or I'm not actually running with anybody. I'm just trying to pass everybody. That's a lonely finish line. Yeah. And then I've, I've run half marathons where we're all cheering together. That's way more fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third thing is a redemptive view of suffering, which we talked about before, you know, being able yeah. to forgive your enemies, being able to say this terrible thing happened to me, or I, I was born with this disability or this, I got fired and I just feel sour about it. That's not a good thing, but you can redeem that loss. You can look at it and, and forgive and let go and, and say, this is, 
This wasn't a good thing, but good can come out of it. And if you can't make that shift, you're going to go through this life full of, of bitterness and unhappiness, and you won't have a meaningful life. Yeah. Well, okay. So talk real quick about who would benefit from the art of work. I know you kind of had you know some target group in mind who you think would benefit most, and just talk about that a little bit, will you? Sure. Well, you know, people that have read it, I mean, there's been thousands already that have uh, read the book and said, this would be great for college students. This would be great for high school students. This would be great for people in their 20s and 30s trying to find the right job. Obviously, as an author, I go, everybody should read it. Wouldn't that be great? I think it's more about mindset. It's about a feeling. You know, so if you feel there's something more to your life and and you're you just haven't tapped into it, if you're sort of tired of the pat advice of just do these seven things and you'll be okay. This isn't one of those books. I wrote, I wrote, I write books really. And I wrote this book for myself, believing that there are other people out there that share the same sort of frustrations. Like I don't like easy answers. I want somebody to kind of empathize with me along the road to, you know, discovering my purpose. But I also want to know that I'm moving in the right direction. That's why I use the analogy of a path. That, you know, if you think about going out on a hiking trail with people, it's not a straight shot usually. It's windy and curvy and there are, you know, trees falling over sometimes. The path never goes completely according to plan. But the path tells you that other people have walked here before. And if I follow this, it's probably going to take me to where where I want to go. I don't know what twists and turns are going to come along the way. But this is a journey that I can take with other people and also know that I'm following the footsteps of other people. And, And so... If that's, you know, something that resonates with you, I think you'll get a lot out of the book. Yeah, that's great. Where can uh, everybody find out more about you if uh, they want to look into what you're doing? Yeah, well, I mean, the best place to find out about the book is artofworkbook.com. And there's a link to my blog there and, you know, email list and, you know, all places on social media. But um, go to artofworkbook.com. You're going to find some some great deals, not just to get the book, but some other bonuses along with it. This is a book that I wrote not to end a conversation, but to start it. Uh, I think we all have something that we're born to do. And the yeah. process that it takes to get there is kind of messy. And and I think it happens best in community. And so that's really one of the things I'm trying to do with the book is, you know, start this community of people that can encourage each other along the way. I believe that every story of success is really a story of community. And, and I think the art of work is just kind of the beginning part of that process. Yeah. But I hope it brings lots of people together to form those communities so that more can find the work that they're meant to do. Very cool. Well, thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it and wish you all the best. Thanks, Bob. It was my pleasure. All right, so that is all I have for you today. So I hope you found this really helpful. And if you did, please leave me a comment. Let me know. You can hit me up over at Instagram. We are at Seed Time or uh, Twitter would be the same. You can find us over on Facebook or you can just go to the blog, seedtime.com and check us out there as well. And if this was something that helped you in any way, I would love it so much if you could leave us a review over at the uh, iTunes store. That would be a huge help for us. That's all for now and we'll chat soon. Bye.